Let us pray. Oh God, remind us of how you are present with us, filled with love and care and mercy. Amen. Why do bad things happen? Especially why do bad things happen to good people? Of all the questions that I've ever heard about God and asked about God and about God's existence, that's the number one one. How can there be a good God when there's all this bad that takes place in our world? This morning Jesus raises that question in our reading and you would figure if anybody knew the answer it would be Jesus, but he doesn't give an answer. Instead of answering the question, he talks about repenting and perishing, and then he tells this story about a fig tree, how to make sense of this story. I'm going to try to give it some sort of a shot. Our story begins with Jesus bringing up two different tragedies that must have been known to the audience. We don't know about them because there's nowhere else in recorded history besides in Luke about these specific stories. The first one was about Pilate ordering the killing of some Galileans. The other was about a tower that falls and kills 18 people. Jesus brings up both of these tragedies so he can ask the question of why. Why did these people die as they did? Well, he gives a hint as to the common response that comes with that question of why when he asks, what was it because they were worse sinners than, than those who weren't killed? Perhaps he's suggesting that maybe these people were killed because they must have done something to deserve to die. Now, Jesus goes on to say no to that question. But to be honest, that view finds support in one strand of Scripture anyway, especially in some of the Psalms and in Proverbs. The rich are rich because they've been good, so therefore they've been blessed by God. And the poor and those who suffer... It happens because they've done something bad. Bad things happen to bad people. Now, of course, there's a whole other strand of Scripture, especially in the book of Job, which contradicts this view. Because in Job, we read of a very, very good man who's had very bad things happen to him. You see, even Scripture offers us up differing views on the question of why. We still ask that question, though, why? And then when we can't figure out why, we just figure that God must know, that God has some reason as to why the bad things happen. We say things like, well, nothing happens outside of God's perfect plan. We say to people that, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Or God is testing you. Hear me. I think that all of these explanations for why are horrific. To so just use those two examples that Jesus lifts up. And not the many, many more that we could bring up in life today. People in Jesus' story are murdered. They're crushed by a falling building. Do we really want to say that they were killed because they were bad people? And that they deserve to die because of, you know, whatever they've done? Do we really want to try to say that God is okay with this? That, 
that it's part of God's perfect plan? Do we really want to suggest that, well, God may just be testing people, or that God isn't giving us more than we can handle? You know, if I thought that is how God actually works in the lives of people, I would be done with them. But I don't think this is how God works at all. Instead, here's how I would have explained the why of these examples that Jesus mentions. You know why these Galileans were killed? Because Pilate was a cruel and violent ruler from Rome. That's why. And that tower that fell and killed 18 people. Why were they killed? Maybe because the, the tower wasn't built right. Maybe structurally it was unsound, or maybe the wind blew it over, something. But to say God had some plan in that, I just... And you know, we could go through other tragedies and explore the question of why. And having this same discussion, why are people murdered in their places of worship? Why are people killed in floods or in plane crashes? I can understand why we ask questions of why. I get it. When these tragedies come in life, because we want answers. We, want to, we seek meaning to why things happen in the world. And when we can't understand why, we assume that God must have some reason that we just don't understand. But a God who makes such plans and allows such, or encourages stuff to happen like that is not the God that I want to know. Instead, if you come next week... There'll be lifted up an image of the God that I embrace, and that's a God who is a father waiting for his young son to come home, the young son who's run away and, and wasted his life. And when that son finally does come home, he runs after him and embraces him. That's the God that I believe in. Here's how I think about the question of why. Sometimes there just aren't any answers. Sometimes there's just mystery that we're not going to make any sense of, period. You know, I spent a good time now talking about that question of why and how people, how we try to get a sense of a meaning to it. But Jesus never really offers an answer. He does say no. He doesn't think that it's because people are sinners. That's why they got killed. Instead, he says, unless you repent, you'll all perish just as they did. He says it twice. And then he tells that story about a fig tree. What's the shift about? Well, I think Jesus is using this example, these examples of these horrific tragedies, to remind us of what we should know, that life can end at any moment. Life is short. We're not going to live forever. It could come in the blink of an eye, just like it did certainly for those people who were crushed by the tower that fell. And then when Jesus speaks of the need to repent or to perish, and then he goes into his parable, here's one common explanation for this that has been around. God planted this fig tree. He's the owner. We are the fig tree. We are the fig tree who haven't borne any fruit. We haven't repented, so the story goes. And God's ready to kill us because we're sinners. But then the gardener comes along, and the gardener's Jesus. 
And Jesus begs God to give the fig tree us some more time. And Jesus dying on the cross is the way that we, the fig tree, are able to live longer. But of course, there's only a certain amount of time. You see, Jesus satisfied God's demand for our lives by dying on the cross. That's how some see this story. It's known as the satisfaction theory of atonement, to use a big word there. It's all around us. But again, I totally dismiss this idea. Hear me. What does it say of God? That God demands our lives as punishment for our sin. What does it say about God's relationship to Jesus? That God demands that Jesus take our place. I totally disagree with that whole theory of atonement. And I say theory because that's not the only way to think about all of this. Unfortunately, though, that's how it's commonly presented, is the only reason. For me, if we want to form an image of God, again, come back next week as we explore the Father who's waiting for the Son to come home to embrace Him. That's who I think God is like. I don't think God is one who sits around and says that, Somebody's going to have to die for me in my place. Here's what I would suggest about this second part of the story, about repenting and perishing. Repent. Repent is not the notion of stop doing bad things and start doing good things. Repent, literally the word metanoia means above our mind, to be open to a new perspective, to be open to a new perspective that it will be brought among us by God himself. And by perish... I don't think Jesus is talking about you're going to go to hell if you don't become a Christian or whatever. I think by perish, Jesus is saying that if we don't open ourselves up to this new perspective that God is offering us, we're going to continue to wallow in our own ways of living and not open ourselves up to the joy and the wonder and the embrace that is God's love for us. And then Jesus tells a story, a parable. And of course, a parable, there's not one way to interpret any parable. There's several avenues to explore it. That's what I love about Jesus' parable. And I found one, I came across one avenue that I've read on, and I embrace it right now, so I want to share it. The fig tree. In Jesus' day, the fig tree carried a lot of symbolism. Symbolism that his Jewish audience would know all about. Because several times in the Old Testament, there are references to people having fig trees and sitting under fig trees. And each time there's a reference to the fig tree, it speaks of a time of peace and hope and the absence of fear. Here's just a few of the several examples. 1 Kings 4.25 During Solomon, King Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel lived in safety... From Dan to Beersheba, all of them under their vines and fig trees. They lived in safety under their fig trees. Micah 4.4, it's talking about God ruling over the people of Israel. But the people shall sit under their own vines and their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." sitting under the fig trees, and they're not afraid. Zechariah 3.10, talking about God's presence with the people. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, you shall invite each other 
to come sit under your vine and your fig tree. Notice the tie between the fig tree and God's presence and safety and oneness. I think in this parable, Jesus is speaking of he's a, it's a fig that has no fruit. Perhaps it's a metaphor for the lack of peace and hope and embrace and oneness. Instead, it's a sense of, of fear and life without God. And then when that gardener pleads for more time, maybe it's a plea to continue to strive for this peace and this hope and this love that God intends for life. But also with that plea comes a recognition that because none of our lives last forever, who knows when it might end. That gardener that makes the plea. In one sense, I would suggest that it is Jesus himself, whose whole ministry, whose whole life was about bringing about wholeness and love for God and for others. And I'd also suggest that we are the gardeners as well. Here's why. The story begins with the questions of why. Why did they die? Why did they die? And I've been talking about that for, for too long now today. Even though we asked all about why, none of it really talks about the situation at hand, the tragedy. I think rather than sit around and ask about why and try to figure out why things happen the way they do, Jesus is instead calling on us to repent, to be open to a new way and focus instead on participating in that new way that God brings about in life. God is creating a new world and God is calling us to participate in it. Repent from just sitting around doing nothing and be open to how God might be calling us into this new thing, into this new life, into ways of sitting underneath a fig tree. And as Jesus points out, it's not an easy task tending to these fig trees. We'll get dirty as we dig in the mud and the muck. Why we even have to wallow in the manure that comes with participating in the peace and the comfort and the love that comes to us from God. It's hard stuff. It demands our lives. In a minute, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to ask you to reflect on the fig tree that God might be calling you into. But first, I want to share mine, one of mine. Four of us here from Highland have been involved in a weekly gathering with folks from a few other churches here on town uh, the past four Monday nights we've got together to read and reflect and to talk about what it means to be a white person in our society to be people who have automatic privilege just because we are white. But of course, we white people are also quick to defend ourselves against this reality, reflecting our own white fragility. I've been a part of a small group in this ga bigger gathering, about six or seven people, a couple of them have dropped out. And there are moments when I'm so excited about this time together, but there's also times when it seems like all I'm doing is digging in the muck and the mud of my own life and in the life in this community and wondering, is there any end in sight to racial oneness, to racial reconciliation, to white people actually recognizing this because we live in such denial. But in all of this, for me, I keep trying to trust that there is a fig tree. There's a fig tree of peace 
and hope and love and embrace that God is calling me to sit under with other people. Now to you. I've been talking about this image of a fig tree that God is calling on us to follow in the way of Jesus, our gardener, to participate in ways that might bring about peace and comfort and embrace. Now here's my question. What might you do in this week to help nurture fig trees of peace and hope and embrace? Think of one way that you might lift up hope in a place of hopelessness, or maybe among someone who is living in a place of hopelessness. Where is there uncertainty and fear? And how might you engage in a way of peace? Don't think big. Think in your own particular life how you might do that. I'll give you a moment, and then I'll hop back up here. Let's be on the lookout for the fig trees.